Yo, you remember this part? Welcome to the Film Find, the greatest movie podcast ever. Assuming you've never listened to a movie podcast before, I am your host, Adam Portress, and I'm joined by Matt Smith. They're coming to get you, Barbara. (laughs) And um, we are back yet again, everybody, and we're going to be talking about another movie. Uh, This week, Dr. Sleep. I know that... Oh, shit. I watched the wrong... (laughs) (laughs) What did you watch? Uh, not not Night of the Living Dead. Not ah, Night damn it! Dead. Uh, but uh, yeah, Doctor Sleep, Doctor Sleep, man, uh, the long-awaited, uh, I guess, awaited by some for sure. Uh, sequel to The Shining, sort of, kind of. We'll get into a little bit of that. Uh, directed mm-hmm. by one Mike Flanagan, who I happen to know, uh, Matt Smith is quite a fan of, and perhaps we'll get into some Mike Flanagan talk as well. Probably guaranteed. Uh, So let's go ahead and take a listen to the trailer for Dr. Sleep. When I was a kid, there was a place. A dark place. They closed it down and let it rot. But the things that lived there... They come back. Men ride the bus this far north, you're running away from something. <gasps> I'm running away from myself, I guess. Hi. You can hear me. You're magic. Like me. I don't know about magic. I always called it the shining. The world is a hungry place. A dangerous place. These people, they hurt people like us. These empty devils, they'll eat watch hands. And they noticed that little girl. Wow. Hi there. Get out of my head! Get out! I haven't felt power like that in so long. They're coming. Where are we going? There's a place. You sure you want to do this? I'm ready. 
you run, dear. And then I will find you. And you will scream for years. Come play with us forever and ever. Alrighty, that was the trailer for Dr. Sleep. Uh, here is the IMDb plotline. Years following the events of The Shining, a now adult Dan Torrance must protect a young girl with similar powers from a cult known as the True Knot. Who, play, who prey on children with powers to remain immortal. This is uh, directed by Mike Flanagan, written by, uh, well, the book, obviously, was Stephen King. I'm trying to pick her up. And by, Flanagan by just Flanagan. did the uh, screenplay as well. So written and directed by Mike Flanagan. Ah, there you go. Uh, so before we get going with this movie in particular, because I feel like we have to broach a couple of subjects, okay? Uh, first and foremost, uh, this is kind of sort of a sequel to The Shining books slash uh, movie. We'll get into the uh, where it came from and everything. But I mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit first about The Shining proper. Uh, both, the, I, my guess is you've probably read the book. I know you've seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and the miniseries. Oh, and the miniseries as well. Yes, the miniseries as well, which I think is wildly underrated. I also think that. Uh, not many people do. No, no, it is not liked by a lot of people. But uh, I, I enjoyed that for what it was. I mean, it's ABC in the in the you know late nineties and everything. And for what mm-hmm. they had to do with what they had to do, uh, I thought it was pretty good. And you know, Stephen Weber's great. Come on, yeah, and and it does like bring some of the things in the book uh, that I did miss in the Kubrick film, and also it brings in some of the things that were left out for a reason. Exactly. Now, and what were your thoughts? Now, again, I think probably you and I may hold slightly more controversial opinions on The Shining than other people. What are your thoughts? On the Kubrick film? Correct. Uh, It is good. I don't think that it's great. Yeah. I think that's where it's going to come down for me. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. There's a lot of things about it that I like. There's a lot of things about it that I hate. And I'll go ahead and tell you right off the bat. Uh, for those that don't know that, because uh, I've I've said it before on this show, but yep. uh, uh, I don't like uh, Jack Nicholson's performance, and I'm a huge Jack Nicholson fan. He and I share the same birthday. We just had one a couple days ago, so it's kind of nice me and Jack Nicholson. I feel a kindred spirit with the man, uh, for no other reason than the fact that we were born on the same date, many, many, many years apart. But um, he's crazy from the get of go in that movie, and that really kind of throws the entire movie off, in my opinion. He's nuts from that car ride as they're pulling up. That's like basically the first shot of him. He's just he's cuckoo bananas from go. So you don't feel like he's really traveled a distance to go insane at the Overlook. Well, and and as I've mentioned, I actually like Jack Nicholson's performance, but what I don't like is how fucking boring huge portions of the movie actually are i like his performance and once once not, towards the end where he's supposed to be nuts i just wish he was more regular at the beginning so it seems more as an arc yeah and and, and i do want to also clarify that i don't mean boring because like oh it's stanley kubrick and everybody thinks his movies are boring and they're Slow. stupid yeah no uh my favorite kubrick film is the one that all of you motherfuckers hate it's barry linden okay <laughs> so, that so, is true he so, has always been a barry linden guy so, for those of you that so, think he's just starting to make this shit up no he's done he said this shit for years no go back i fucking talked about it before oh yeah but but it's not that it's just like you no know, this movie like there's a lot of stuff where i'm just like all right kubrick we gotta get to the fucking get-go man let's roll a little bit let's go somewhere 
and then it gets to those moments and then fucking lets them die. It's the one thing that I actually really agree with Stephen King on uh, about this movie because, you know, I do think it works mostly as a horror movie, but he does like set up things that uh, like lead to big scares and big reveals and then they just fucking fall way flat. Mm hmm. Over and over again. It's it's kind of bizarre for a guy that's actually as talented as Kubrick is, in my opinion. Yeah, it it it's sadly one of the I don't want to say I mean again, it, it feels like you're taking a dump on the man, and I don't feel like I'm doing that per se, but like no, I, I like his movies. Yeah, and I exactly. like the shining, you know. But yeah, it's just, it's not quite there. Now, as far as Dr. Sleep goes, years later, uh, Stephen King finally writes a sequel uh, to The Shining in Dr. Sleep. My guess is to eventually make a movie. Uh, maybe, maybe not, but that's a, that's yeah. a guess. Uh, but did you read the book? I, I figure you might. I did. It is uh, a little bit different, and they changed the ending for the film almost entirely, which is good, because the ending for the book is lackluster let's wait say. a second wait a second matt Don't i know just, it's the stereotype for stephen king i know that it's the stereotype. stephen king fucks up an ending ah that don't but, sound like stephen I king will, i know but i will also say like you know like people still talk shit he has gotten better with a lot of his books over the past 10 years of like you know nailing most of the ending at least uh, this one really was kind of an aberration in his most recent crop of big books in that the ending really just was not up to par mm -hmm. um, in a way that maybe we haven't seen since like immediately post being hit by a van Stephen King. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so the book is good up until a certain point. And uh, what they do here is they change the ending uh, and they actually go back to the overlook to the hotel. Um, and from that point on, it kind of functions as more of a direct sequel to the Kubrick film, mm -hmm. which the book does not really ever address. Yeah, and and from what I what what I saw in kind of some of the uh, special features on the uh, on the Blu-ray and everything, is that they kind of wanted this because the movie, like Kubrick's movie, didn't have the ending that you know that The Shining had. So this one actually has mm -hmm. the ending of The Shining in Doctor Sleep. So in a way, we kind of finally do get that ending proper, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I think it's a really clever move that solves some minor issues with multiple texts. Uh, although, I think also by it being an actual sequel to that movie possibly creates further problems. But we can talk about that uh, later. Yeah, so let's get into it here. So we got Doctor Sleep. We have an adult... Ver well, I actually, I want to say this before we get into the actual like new people and everything. There's a, a a decent bit of kind of recreation of scenes and of course sets and everything mm -hmm. from The Shining, and I will just I want to stand up and applaud because they did such a fantastic job of getting just about everything right as far as the look. It feels like we are back yep. on the exact same set of the Overlook that Stanley Kubrick was on in 1970. Down, or whatever. Down to the look of the film. Mm-hmm. Right. Like like there's a, a texture to it that is kind of distinctly early 80s, late 70s uh, that is kind of brought into play, even though I, I'm pretty sure this whole thing was shot digitally. More than but, likely. Yeah. But but there is a process that they've done in post uh, 
that really does look like that film did. And, and it's kind of remarkable. So, but I, I, I just wanted to kind of point that out there because like this movie starts out and it is kind of, uh, you, when you watch it, when you, when you, you know, just first start this sucker up, you're like, oh, well we are starting very close to where the shining just left off. And I thought that was such a, a bold move to not go directly to an, an adult Dan Torrance and everything. We are actually kind of going along and just going, Hey, well, what happened after the movie? Because it's an interesting question. What, what did happen? And you see this kind of struggle of stuff that's going on. And, uh, you know, we got a much prettier version of Shelley Duvall. <laughs> no one wants well, to say it, but it's true. Look, uh, yeah, look, I like Shelley, but yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, she doesn't look as, as as absolutely insane. That's true. Um, Mike Flanagan so, probably didn't bother though. Do <laughs> do we want to talk about the movie right this second, or you think you want to talk about Flanagan a bit? Okay, let's go into Flanagan then before we jump. Okay. Uh, well, what I will say is that um, Flanagan over the past like seven or eight years has really um developed a strong footprint in the horror genre mm -hmm. mostly because his movies tend to be very understated uh like some you know it's what some people don't like about his stuff honestly but he kind of has a very classical style um with an eye for detail he stages things in a very precise way, which a lot of genre directors do not do as much anymore. Um, he is drawn more towards supernatural horror mm -hmm. than he is toward kind of visceral serial killery style stuff, uh, blood and guts stuff. And so, you know, like he's got a few things. Uh, Oculus was like his first big movie um, with Katie Sackhoff and, uh, was that Karen Gillan was in that one? I think, um, yeah, Karen Gillan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, about a haunted mirror. Very good uh, flick, very enjoyable. Um, then uh, he kind of got set up with a sweetheart deal at Netflix <laughs> based on uh, the strength and performance of his movie Hush, uh, which is uh, like a, a stalker uh, kind of home invasion film uh, where the main protagonist is silent. Uh, yeah, I mean, deaf, so the, like a lot of the action takes place in silence um not a lot I feel of dialogue like i saw that but i can't really remember it it's very good i i'm almost certain you've seen it um he also uh has done some studio work so like he he made this uh movie i think for Lionsgate originally um uh fuck what's it called before i wake that's the next yes one Martin, that yeah. one um Yes, Before I Wake, which is pretty good, but is actually like more of a family drama with elements of fantasy in it. Uh, and then um, his big thing that really solidified him as like a guy to pay attention to was two years ago, he uh, adapted uh, The Haunting of Hill House for Netflix. And what's kind of unique about that is that he wrote, directed, and edited every episode which is not necessarily how all that normally happens no right? certainly not and I mean, rare exceptions but especially not yeah, when you're at like you know yeah, 11 I mean, episodes it's <laughs> like 
yeah, it's like, hey, are you the Cohen brothers or Steven Soderbergh? If the answer is no, <laughs> fuck off. Fairly rare. Know? Yeah. Um. So. Oh, real quick, really, I want to touch on uh, just just real fast, just just to mention yeah, sure. it because it's easy for people to uh, if they want to get more of his work, it's easy for them to get is uh, Gerald's Game on Netflix, also based on a Stephen King book. So there you go. And which and we a reviewed on one, and I, we reviewed and on I this think, show way back. Yeah. Yeah, and I think more than anything, that's what led Warner Brothers to peg him for this thing. Because mm-hmm. um, it showed that he could adapt kind of difficult King material. I mean, like Gerald's Game, you read that book and you're just like, holy shit, how do you adapt this thing? You, know? <laughs> you got one like it, room. Like most of it is just a woman in a bed hallucinating, you know? <laughs> Make that entertaining for an hour and a half. And he does right. it quite well. It's really, <laughs> really compelling. Um, so he has this gig, uh, he's doing pretty good and he gets picked up to do this movie. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan. I like that he has this like kind of distinct sensibility that is a little bit like not having a style really. Um, he, he, it kind of reminds me of like old school studio directors, somebody like a Michael Curtiz who would just like direct the shit out of something. Yeah. Uh, but absolutely not be like, hey, I'm Hitchcock, look at my stuff, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I really dig what he does here with Dr. Sleep, man. Uh, I think that his kind of, his tone and style and his sensibility really does jive pretty well with the Kubrick material, as well as uh, bring, bring into the fold a lot more of King's, uh, kind of otherworldly outlandishness uh, in a nice way. And it doesn't feel like when you're watching this movie, it doesn't, I mean, obviously there's a lot of visual cues when you're at the, you know, the kind of overlook flashbacks and everything. There's a lot mm-hmm. of visual cues that are very Kubrickian for obvious reasons. It all, But the rest of the film does not feel like he's aping Kubrick in any way, shape or form, really. No, this feel this feels more natural than any of that stuff that's in Ready Player One. Yeah, which is cool. I mean, I like the I love yeah, the setup course, and but everything. Like, it's but, but it's obviously like Spielberg going like, oh, I'm going and doing some Kubrick stuff. Yeah, kinda, it's it's know, cool. Sort of. yeah, exactly. It's it's supposed to be very evocative of that. This is evocative, mm-hmm. but it it's not um it's it not overly hacky. Yeah, yeah, it's not overly precious about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's the thing that I think is admirable too. Like it does not treat that material with like high reverence kid gloves. It kind of just dives in and is like, "Hey, this is what we have to do." Yeah, it's there. This is What's what you know as it? far as a visual tone and feel for everything. So I'm going to continue mm-hmm. to give you those. I mean, even so much as in as much as like I mean, there are scenes where, you know, Dan Torrance is doing uh, he's practically in the exact same room. It's not that, but it's like the same basic room that Jack Nicholson was in uh, with his interview uh, for the Overlook in the original movie. You know, right? Exact setup for it, right? Like uh, the 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 window over the shoulder, down to the color of the wall, people. All yeah. right. <laughs> uh, and and what this does is actually something that the original Shining does pretty well. And there are some really good essays that you can read about uh, this. But there's this. Uh, kind of, it comes out of music, but it's this thing called hauntology. Are you familiar with this? Can't say that I am. So the idea is that um, if something is operating in a hauntological mode, what is happening is that the past is 
concurrent with the present in some way, right? So that like the the way it works in music is like, uh, do you remember uh, there was this uh, band that um, Ryan, uh, fuck, Gosling. Do you remember Ryan Gosling had a band like five or six years ago? Vaguely. Okay, so what they were doing was like all music that sounded vaguely uh kind of like spooky uh 60s kind of shit okay that's hauntological in that in in like one sense it's kind of like updating the past but not really making it new and kind of creating this kind of fusion collision point i feel you yeah and the shining does that a whole lot right like i mean quite literally it's like the idea that jack nicholson uh, you know jack torrance can be in uh both the old overlook as well as the new overlook even though this is his first time there he's always been there that kind of weirdness right and what the movie dr sleep does is it kind of operates in that same mode where it's kind of creating these (laughs) these resonances more so than uh blatant ripoffs or direct homage so that it's like oh this is like that moment in the shining when jack was in this room for his interview and danny is now in a similar space mm-hmm. dealing with similar issues that sort of thing yeah um, yeah 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 it's 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 a good echo without feeling like it's punching you in the face going like yo you remember this part and you're like I yeah, yeah i don't need you right. screaming at me right which is what all of the men in black sequels feel like right <laughs> true you know it's just kind of like, hey, do you remember this thing? Now we got balls on our chin, that kind of thing. It's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> luckily, no bald chinians in Doctor Sleep. What we do have is actually like a really terrifying villain. Yeah, and I was like, I was interested in this at first because uh, Rebecca Ferguson uh, plays Rose the Hat, and uh, I guess most people probably know her from like the Mission Impossible uh, flick. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. And I was like, I'm not really... And the hat drove me bonkers when I saw it in trailers and stuff. I'm just like, oh, sweet yeah. Jesus with this. What is this all about? And it felt... At the same time, though, it still felt very Stephen Kingy, just going like, fuck you, I like this hat. Uh, yeah. But she she's great. She really is good. She plays in an awesome villain here and everything. And I love that this little girl, uh, Abra, that she comes across... Mm-hmm is this kind of just super powerful thing when she has that little, you know, kind of telepathy meeting, if you will, and then just blows her across the supermarket with her mental powers and stuff like that. It's just so cool. Yeah, I think that that stuff really works really well. And a lot of it is just like like her performance, Rebecca Ferguson's performance uh, as Rose, is just so strong-willed and assured of herself that what works in the conflict with um, Abra is that uh, it's the first, like you really do get a sense that this is the first time that this, this thing that this woman is Mm -hmm. has ever really felt threatened. Yeah. And it's by this tiny little girl. Yeah. Because, because the power that they share in some way is just overwhelmingly centered within her being, and that's something that, you know, is both appetizing, quite literally, for Rose and the rest of the crew, but also 
absolutely scares her shitless. Like they ha- she decides they have to find this girl mostly because they don't want her to get older. Yeah, and they 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 go through and show the, all the uh, the crazy uh, kind of cult things that are going on of like getting mm-hmm. this young girl who is uh, going around and killing Johns and stuff like that, and uh, bringing her into this cult and uh, giving her this extra life to where she'll be like sixteen years old forever. It's like you'll be it's it's very it's very Lost Boys in a lot of ways too. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I and I think it's a nice change from like. You know, there was one. There's one way that the that Stephen King could have gone with writing a sequel to The Shining, where you set everything in the look in the Overlook, and it's just a similar situation that plays out. And mm-hmm. I think that would have been the way that, you know, if Hollywood had had its way, that would have been the sequel that happened a long time ago, right? It would have yeah. been, you know, it would have been uh, House on Haunted Hill the Part sh- Two, The Shining whatever, Part right? Two, instead of Doctor <laughs> yeah. Sleep. <laughs> um. But by creating like this new and really, even by Stephen King standards, like complex and interesting villain set, um, which is something he's actually quite good at. But like even then, this is kind of very good for him. Uh, Like you want to know about these people and there's just enough mystery there and there's just enough that's given to you that it creates uh, something that, like all of his best villains, like Pennywise, right? Something that you can both comprehend and yet is incomprehensible in some way and therefore terrifying. Yeah, I think that's a that I think that's a touchstone that a lot of uh that that you need in situations like this is you need something that's wild and crazy and and so nuts so out there, but at the same time it's very easily relatable, you know what it is. So you have that touchstone that you're not just, you know, going like, "Whoa, this seems so weird and out of touch and everything." It's like, "No, it, it's all on point. It makes sense." Right. And and he's it's, it's he's good at doing stuff like that. Yeah, and and the movie does it really well. I mean, like the performances are all there. This group of people, every single one of them, uh, is is very good. Um, yeah, there's no there's reason a, for Abra's parents to be fantastic, but they are. Right. Well, and then there's like uh, like even the the shit. What's the guy's name that plays the her uh, lover? Cliff Cliff fucking Curtis. Cliff. Right? Yeah, <laughs> Cliff Curtis is is fantastic as always. Yeah. That guy is just. Well, I will say this though. It's nice to see him not playing an absolute scumbag. <laughs> Cuz he usually just right. plays he's he's either on the like you're the most despicable horrible person and most of his roles are that or he's just the sweetest, you know, heart of gold kind of guy and stuff as well who's yeah, kind of turned he's his life around. Rider, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> he's yeah, he's exactly. so good though, but you you buy his character and if you've and if you've met people that have gone through like AA and stuff like that, it it is that vibe. You get that mm-hmm. vibe from that kind of person because if you've met that person, it's like, oh yeah, that 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 is how that person kind of acts. And getting this guy together, yeah, and- seeing this lonely guy who looks like he's you know much worse for wear, and goes, hey, I've been there. I'm going to try to help this guy. Yeah, and and to pair him up with Dan is like such a good uh, idea, right? Because it gives. Ewan McGregor as Dan, some like a really strong foil to play off. Yeah, of. it's an and, outlet. And not it's like a way in a to negative get that story sense, across. Like a, yeah, you get the story across, but also like there's stuff that is now made tangible for Dan that is psychological in nature, right? Like mm-hmm. there is there there's like physical aspects of 
him trying to overcome trauma and addiction and things like that, that otherwise would be almost completely psychologically portrayed by the rest of the story. But because you now have Cliff Curtis's Billy there, um, like it just makes it even stronger kind of as a story element. Uh, I love now tell me this about the book because I, I don't I don't really know is is Dick Holleran in the book itself I, I feel like I heard conflicting things uh, that I can't remember because it's been a while since I read Dr. Sleep I read it back when it first come at, came out and I meant to read it again very recently because I got fucking time now <laughs> but I haven't gotten around to it yet because mostly what I remember is just like the sh- the the overlook in general mm-hmm. is not a component of Dr. Sleep right but there are within all that being said like dan clearly in the book from my memory can talk to uh like his memories of people in some way like that like the power still exists in the world yeah as, i love as that. something that is not uh tied to their body yeah, the fact that he can kind of see Dick and talk to him and, and did, obviously, when he was a kid and now as an adult and this kind of uh, uh, a ghost figure, if you will, uh, is, is there. And they actually, from what from what I heard, kind of were like on the fence of how to actually portray him. <laughs> or and, and I think they did. I think they chose the right way here is that he's not really there, but maybe he kind of is in like a weird, you know, kind of spiritual way or anything. The guy that they got to play him, uh, Carl Lumley, he's fantastic. Gives a very, he's yeah, not. I almost, by the way, I almost called the cops because I thought somebody had actually dug up Scatman. It's really good. I mean, like yeah. you're. You just go, wow! I mean, impressive, impressive. Because he he looks that way. He he has that same kind of cadence and everything. Uh, just so good, right? Uh, but but again, I, I do wanted to say, uh, Ewan McGregor's fantastic in this role. Mm-hmm. He is he's so good. You buy all of this, all of the you know drunken, and he's played you know kind of roles like this before. Obviously, with your you know your train spottings and things of that. Uh, ilk but it, it's good it, i really enjoy it and uh i i buy everything that's going on here i love the uh the kind of uh almost telekinetic conversations that he has with Af- abra uh his mm-hmm. it it does the the stupid thing that everybody just that, that you hear about in like kind of modern movie takes and most of it sounds stupid and awful because most of it is of like bringing in that new generation in a way but this but it doesn't feel corny or stupid or just like oh they kind of put this together for whatever reason it feels natural it feels like it's supposed to be there doesn't feel pushed or I don't know. I, I liked it a lot. I, I, I was surprised because I thought for sure that I would be kind of turned off from it of like, oh, here's the new one. She's got the powers. Now he's going to be like hollering and just telling her about the stuff. And then, but, but, and it's not that. And it's great that it's not. Yeah. That's what I was, that's exactly my, my entire takeaway is like, there is a way that you make this movie that is exactly what you just said, right? Like now Danny's hollering. Now this girl is Dan, right? Like all that same shit. Mm-hmm. But it changes enough around and creates a real situation where Dan is still growing as a character. He has actual <laughs> fallout from the original events that are, as he approaches his, uh, you know, uh, mid forties, uh, starting to become a real hindrance for him. Um, and it it really is a good sequel in that regard, in that it doesn't try to just do the same thing over and over and over again. 
And it, it makes, to me, it really feels like uh, the, the, the Dan Danny Torrance arc from The Shining really gets completed within this film. It feels yes. like it is a good continuation of that to where not only are we continuing the story, which is fine and well, and you could do that anytime that you would like to, but mm -hmm. continuing the story and continuing the arc of that character and having that be what, I mean, going from a child to an adult and everything, having that be a nice, smooth transition and everything is, it's impressive that they landed it like they did. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I do have a question for you before we wrap up. Okay. Have you watched the director's cut? Oh, that's the only one I've watched, yes. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. What's the difference between the two? Because I don't know, if I, you know. I don't know, because I haven't watched the director's cut yet. Okay, because at least it's I have it to buy the Blu-ray. Like I haven't bought it yet. I got, yeah. See, I, I and I, I'll tell you this, kids. I bought this on a blind buy. I had a couple of people uh, give me good, uh, you know, uh, good reviews and stuff and i was like okay i'll give it a shot and from a guy that i know uh from work who's like a big stephen king fan reads all of his books and everything he's just like i saw it i really liked it i was just like you know what this is a guy who reads his books and stuff an awful lot i'll give it a shot and sure enough i i thoroughly enjoyed it and uh i would and I, again i can't believe when when this idea was floated several years ago even just for stephen king writing the book right i was mm -hmm. like no God, don't do this. Don't go back to this. Come up with something else. I don't like retreads, especially Same. when, you know, you're looking at like a 25-year difference between, you know, uh, between publishings and everything. That's it's a long time, and it's so much hype and everything to live up to, especially, you know, from the novel and the movie and the miniseries. You've got so much stuff to live up to. How can you possibly think that you're going to, you know, land this. The odds, in my opinion, are rather against you in this case. And sure as shit, though, Mike Flanagan really kind of pulled it off. I, I was shocked. Yeah, I, I was too. You know, I mean, he's he's my boy. And uh, still, I was kind of just like, well, he really did. The, he really did the thing, you know. I would love to see him become, I mean, because maybe he's not doing as much these days, but I would love to see him kind of become like the new Frank Darabont, where it's just like, I'm going to, because we got Gerald's game, we got Dr. Sleep. I'd love to see him be one of the kind of directors that King just goes like, yes, I will allow you to kind of do my work. This is the guy who seems to, you know, take what, not only take what I do and represent it well on screen, but perhaps does the things uh, in movie form that can't be done in book form or however you would like to kind of phrase that, you know, just make it different for whatever reason, because books and films uh, while similar mediums in some ways are also very different in uh, the obvious ways. Well, I got to, I got to tell you, he's moving back towards TV at this point. Uh, he's, he's doing second season of Hill house, which is not another season of Hill house. It's the haunting of Bly Manor. So it's uh, turn of the screw. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, just cause yeah. I'm curious now, where's this Hill house? Where's it? What's it on? Is, it, is that a Hulu? It's on Netflix. Netflix. Okay. And it, it's very like, it is uh, the bones of the short story or the novella, which is only like 120 pages or something like that. Okay. Uh, he really does expand on that quite a bit and change things around, but it is quite good and packed, fill, just absolutely filled with uh, visual things uh, for you to go back and kind of look over. Uh, nice. You know, if you haven't seen it, um, like, you know, there are, it's about a haunted house and there are main, like 
many ghosts in the movie that are like there that you know you are scary but one thing that he did like to kind of create the sense that like this house is really evil and there's constantly stuff going on and like you don't even notice it is that just randomly in the background sometimes there will be just like a figure standing there or a reflection of something in a window pane. Oh, creepy. That it is just, <laughs> or you'll see like, you know, it'll be a close up and then like next to the door that they open up in close up. So it's like a, a you know, a medium close up or something as they're opening a door. Uh, you'll see from their perspective inside opening the door, like somebody standing next to the door, but all you see is like the lower third of their arm with a hand there. And the, the characters don't react to it because they can't see them. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Sounds like I need it's to watch really, this. It's really good, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I definitely check that out. Uh, but yeah, Doctor Sleep. It's available on uh, on Blu-ray, DVD, streaming, and all that kind of good stuff wherever uh, you find finer uh, things. I, I, like I said, I, I can't believe it. I am. De- I'm certainly giving this a recommend. Um, if you like The Shining in just about any shape or form, I would say that this is a pretty darn good follow up. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I, I think if you like that movie, if you like the story, if you like the book, uh, this is worth your time if you haven't seen it yet. Very good. Uh, we'll be doing some more stuff as things go on. In the meantime, Matt, where can we find more of your work on the interwebs? Uh, follow me on Instagram. I'm over there at uh, Matt underscore Boyd underscore Smith. Uh, you know, I got photos of everything i kind of keep up with what what i'm watching and the old insta stories i uh i um took photos of of some rose bushes out front the other day they're on there Ooh. Uh, dick dick tracy comics whatever i throw up there it's it's a, a kind of a grab bag but you know i try to keep it interesting it's a dick grab bag of dicks uh so check uh, that's right <laughs> so check it out uh, and of course, uh, Hear Movie Podcast and uh, Clone Wars 30 Questions. Check them out, everybody. We really appreciate that. And we will see you next time. Another good programming. Yeah, I'm gonna check out that Honey Hill House. I didn't like. I'd, I'd heard things about it. I mean, I guess I'd never really uh, explored it. But then again, you know, we live in a world where there's eight billion damn things, and <laughs> good luck yeah. trying to watch them all. Well, I, I just really thought that series was extremely well done. And what's smart about it is that it's you know it it is scary. And like, but a lot of the big scare moments are kind of in the first half of the series. Although the finale has a bunch of shit too. Um, oh, okay, really and you got you like, got Henry Thomas in it, and I, I wanted to actually mention yeah. him during the show. Him as the uh, bartender and everything. It's nice to see old mm-hmm. Elliot coming back. Yeah, and uh, 
what's her name who's also in gerald's game uh carla gugino oh well (laughs) sign Um, me up already everybody i done bought my ticket I didn't even mention this, but one thing that I do like about Mike Flanagan is that he kind of has a like a a, a, a repertory of actors that yeah. work with him, like a company. Um, so a lot of his stuff have the same people in it. So like Carla Gugino shows up in a bunch of stuff. Elizabeth Reeser shows up in a bunch of stuff. Uh, Henry Thomas shows up. Uh, Kate Se- Kate Segal, who is or Siegel, I think her name is not like uh, Katie Segal, um, but uh, Kate Siegel who. I think is his his wife, um, hmm. but like Timothy Hutton is in this thing, and you know I know he's had his uh, little issues <laughs> recently. Hey, who amongst um, us? <laughs> but, oh, me. But um, but uh, he is beyond fucking fantastic in that show. He he like has this scene it's either in season or in episode four or five where you're just like holy shit man this whole fucking thing is entirely riding on timothy fucking hutton's shoulders right now and he is just waltzing with it it's fucking phenomenal acting yeah he can be really great do you know where he was born malibu Uh, california it's like could you be any more (laughs) Malibu, <laughs> fuck off. Well, 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 we just born in Malibu. Just you know, you know what Nickelback would say about that. It's been a while. <laughs> it has. Uh, but uh, listen, you got to give him credit, man. Nobody like few people, especially like especially the ones that are like big in Hollywood. Few of them rarely ever were born or grew up in Hollywood. They usually transfer over from someplace else. It's not a place you see a lot of it's a lot of talent comes out of Hollywood, but it's usually from people who moved from outside of Hollywood as opposed to being born there. I know. It's basically Timothy Hutton and Drew Barrymore. <laughs> well, but you know, she's got kind of a, a bit of a legacy for the reason why she was there. <laughs> basically <laughs> just them though. I think. Just... Yeah. Just about. <laughs> no. Well, you know you know who uh did you oh fuck. Oh what God damn it. Okay. Yes. So <laughs> I, I wish I'd been drinking since I'm acting like I, I am. am. <laughs> I'm about through the second 16 ounce of boy. Woo. Oh my God. Um, that's an IPA boys. That's, that means it's high octane. So, so you know, who is uh, like, like, like the two people that I've heard, uh interviews with who are like the most fucking southern california motherfucking people you've ever heard in your life when they talk about this shit (laughs) is uh jeff bridges oh yeah that makes sense who who i don't think he was born there but he's been there long enough might as well be southern california through and fucking through but josh fucking brolin uh who yeah like, that makes sense who is uh from like uh santa monica i think and he i think it was in his like uh marin interview where he's just talking he's like he just starts talking you're like god damn you're just like some fucking surfer dude that like you know hung out and got laid in 
smoke weed all the fucking time. Like, yeah, it was your whole thing for a while. You well, know? And, hey, everybody says that exact same thing about Brad Pitt. And it's just like, it is the most just like, everybody just yeah, goes like, yeah, like Brad Pitt's just, or some shit. he's just a good looking pothead who's like happens to be halfway decent in acting. And like, that's, that's how his entire career's kind of started. Like, and oh, for Christ's sakes, he admitted it when he got his Oscar, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, I, mean, hey, I look. fucking love Brad Pitt. Oh, I do too. Huge, gigantic a, fan. Gigantic. You know, I take that shit I said last in between about uh, not being gay. I'll fucking suck Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I mean, there's, if you're going to make an exception, <laughs> you might as well make it Brad Pitt. You know, make it somebody pretty, for God's sake. <laughs> Nobody's going, I'm turning gay for Clinton Howard. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Bare, like, barely oh, no. for Ron. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking. He did direct Willow. <laughs> I I like Ryan Like, that's your barometer? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, man. Uh, I loved Apollo 13. <laughs> fuck you. Well, who didn't? No, we, listen, if I anyone tells me, there, if anyone tells me they hated Apollo 13, I'm going to, first of all, I will I will automatically assume that you are not American. Because well, if you're an American well, and you don't love Apollo 13. And like people, people, and I find this, it's the worst with cinephiles, you know, where they're just like, they'll fucking go on and on and on talking about a Michael Curtiz or a Howard Hawks or, you know, any of these like work workhorse dudes from the studio era as like fucking gods, right? Mm-hmm. And then they'll turn around and they'll say like, well, Ron Howard doesn't have a distinctive style. He just, his movies are so like, you know, smooth Hollywood. And it's like, yeah, yeah. he's a fucking studio director, man. Yeah. There's he, a reason he only makes movies for fucking Universal most of the time. Part of it's because his production company's there, but he's a fucking studio guy. I mean, like, seriously, look at like, you know, grab any random handful of Billy Wilder movies. How many of them feel exactly the same? Not a lot. Right. They're all kind of all over the place, you know? Uh, I, I think Ron Howard, like, his strength as a filmmaker is, like, he can step the fuck up, man. He just, he he will show it. He'll show up to your fucking Disney-ass shit show of a Star Wars movie and pull that motherfucker out. Yeah, it's like, we fired two guys. We need somebody yeah. who is, you know, good and reliable, can take some direction and says, hey, finish this the way that we want to be finished. And do it really well. And, you know, listen, I'm not the biggest fan of Solo, but Solo's pretty good. It's not it's, bad. It's fun as shit. I don't, you know, like... There's some problems with it, but there's problems with every fucking Star Wars out there. And anybody yeah. that says that there's not is insane. Yeah, they're... Yeah, exactly. Indeed. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, like Ron Howard, unsung uh, hero. Like, you know, like he's fucking well-respected by all the fucking people you think are great. Yeah. Like you're you're gonna tell me that Spielberg getting out there, like, you know, yeah, fucking Ronnie. Spielberg you know? would champion Ron Howard any day of the week. Guaranteed. They're the same. The difference is that Spielberg's probably a little better a, at it. Well, he also has something that fucking cinephiles like, which is obsessions. Mm hmm You know, Ron Howard doesn't really have obsessions. Uh what what Spielberg has is daddy issues. And <laughs> Yeah, and true. they love that shit. 
they're like, hey, man, uh, Spielberg working out some of his shit with uh, like absent fathers and stuff, you know? The hilarious part is like, though, for so many years, his dad was alive. <laughs> I, I know. His dad was totally alive and did totally like a lot of interviews and stuff. And like with, you know, they'd always be separated from his mom and stuff. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, he totally did a lot of interviews. Like the, that guy was around, but yet it was just clearly like, hey, dad, guess what? <laughs> you did a lot of damage. <laughs> Thanks, dad. Uh, but at the same time, too, what a fantastic middle finger to be like, hey, you know what, Dad, you did some great, you did some bad, but uh, I think I did all right becoming, you know, the most successful, financially successful director of all motherfucking time. Yeah. God, dude, I turned on fucking Minority Report the other day. Jesus Christ, that movie's so good. You know you know what? I So I, I like Minority Report quite a bit. It's very good. From that period of, of Spielberg, the movie that I fucking can watch over and over again, War of the Worlds. Just, it's good. Just fucking start to finish. No frills, no bullshit. Tom Cruise is excellent. It is uh, has an absolutely fucking bonkers, terrifying performance from one of the nicest people in the world in it. Uh, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins is fucking great <laughs> in that flick, dude. He's so insane, and you're just like, oh, yeah. like you feel unsafe with him. <laughs> yeah, and you're just like, holy shit, this is fucking Andy Dufresne. I'm terrified of him. So like, good. Uh, but that movie, uh, as the kids say, slaps. It does, dude. Uh, but not for nothing, they're putting the George Powell one out on uh, Criterion I in a couple months. Oh, that holy that uh, that announcement! Like, there's a lot of things that got me hype, and like, I'm not even like, well, I, maybe we'll talk about it at some point. I'm not even the biggest Bruce Lee fan. Uh, I think there's a lot of people out there that are like fucking way better than Bruce Lee. Uh, but the Bruce Lee box set, man, they had enough stuff on that Criterion set that they announced and everything. I'm just like, ah, shit, you son of a bitch! <laughs> why would yeah. you? Why would you make me? Because I got all those movies on DVD. I don't need them again, but son of a bitch, if Criterion doesn't put out, you know, during the 50% off sale, I'll pick it up for sure. Oh, 100%, man. You know, at that, at that price point, right? It's like 124. So it's going to come in. Oh uh, no, it's going to be less than that. Even not that set. That set's probably going to cost you like 40 or 50 bucks at the sale at most. But but that's what I, but that's what I'm saying is like, it's going to be like $50 and totally worth it. All that shit on there, man. And, and you know what? It has a movie that I've never owned, actually. And I think I've only seen it once on TV. Uh, the Big Boss. Oh, Big right? Boss is good. Like, the tough part with all that stuff is, though, is that everything got renamed 8 billion times. And so, like, the, mm-hmm. the, the American naming conventions are completely off. It's like the Chinese Connection is not a movie that really has much to do with any of that. Right. And like the movie that does, that should be called The Chinese Connection, is, doesn't, I forget which, because it's, right. it's gone through so many damn yeah, yeah, things. Yeah. Well, look, uh, on the topic of Criterion, at the same time, I'll just coming watch out, Fury. The one you should check out if you've never seen it, but uh, like do a bunch of really happy stuff before and after it, <laughs> is uh, Come and See. Have you ever seen that thing? I, am, I don't think so. So uh, it's, a, it's a Soviet film. And it's uh, it's it's a World War II movie, 
but it is it's just about like this uh teenager who uh joins up with the soviet resistance and he has all these preconceived notions about what war is going to be like and all of this right hence the name come and see um and then when he gets there it is just the most horrific brutalizing <laughs> nonstop nightmare of a movie as he tries to like get the fuck away from being at war it is a king of soviet downer movies <laughs> it is so good uh and has like really it's really gorgeous man and was almost censored uh because it was so like unflinchingly uh bleak which is something for for soviet censorship even the soviets are going this shit's too dark <laughs> but it but it's really good and i can't wait they've got like a a um I think they've got an interview with Roger Deakins on that thing. Oh, that's going to be worth the price just for, for hearing his thoughts on it. Cause it is, I mean, clearly if you see this movie and then you go and look at Deakins stuff, it's clearly influential for him. Hmm. So anyway, we'll check that out. As well. you, you should check that out. Uh, I'm not telling you you should blind buy it. Cause I can't imagine a, unless you're an, <laughs> an insane person like me, you're going to watch it more than once. But uh, it is definitely worth checking out. Oh, you know what? I'm like, I'm just waiting because I, I think it's out now. Or if it's not out now, it's out like early next week. But uh-huh. I have been waiting so long. And finally, they're bringing out fucking Grand Budapest Hotel on, uh, on Criterion. And I'm just oh, like, yeah, I think it's early May. I finally. Jesus. Yeah. It's taken so long to get that. I thing. know. I, and I have not bought the Blu-ray purposely because I heard years and years ago it was going to come out. And I figured it was anyway. Once they put fucking Moonlight Kingdom out, I was like, well, this is definitely coming out. Then. Yeah. And I, I uh, listen, I, I enjoy I enjoy. I do, Moonlight. too. But it is the lesser of the Wes Andersons, in my opinion. <laughs> I still need to get that. I got Fantastic Fox on regular DVD. I do need to pick up the Criterion because it is a nice little double. Uh, yeah, I do need to do that there. too. Uh, that, um, that was honestly that was the movie that kind of that kind of like switched me. Like I I liked his movies well enough, but like that was like oh he's just been doing animation and live action all this time essentially. Oh yeah, you know. Well, I think when that movie came out, one of the it was weird because. Um, like it was kind of a negative review of that movie, but I thought it kind of nailed exactly what I like about all of his movies uh, <laughs> is that they said like, uh, you know, finally Wes Anderson's storybooks sensibility of filmmaking uh, actually has a purpose. <laughs> it makes sense here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, like I like Tannenbaum's a whole lot. I fucking love See, Rushmore. I need beyond to, all man, huge I Rushmore guy. Rushmore. I need to go back and watch Tannenbaum's because I'll be honest, Tannenbaum's was the first Wes Anderson film I ever saw, and I just thinking back now, I think I didn't know what I was watching, who I was watching, what this was supposed to be, mm-hmm. and I think if you don't understand Wes Anderson at least a little bit. You may not that like that movie may just hit you in a really fucking weird way, and I think that's what it did to me. And I'm almost afraid to rewatch it because I'm afraid I'm going to not like it on account of that. But but at the same time too, all of his other films I enjoy, so I'm just like I'm kind of I'm reticent. Tell, tell me I should watch yeah. it again. No, you should watch it. I fucking love that movie. Okay, it's 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 on. It's one of those that's on the <laughs> list where I'm just sure. like, if you're familiar enough, like I I, I think. You know, I had just gone when I saw it, I saw it in theaters, but I had just gone through a period where because I had watched Rushmore, 
I watched a whole bunch of like French New Wave stuff. Mm-hmm. Tannenbaum's like hit me. I was like, oh, this is what he's doing. Because that movie is all like late 60s, early 70s, Godard and Truffaut. Okay. Like that's that's what he's kind of doing in his own way. And I, I'm certain that I, at that time, I had not dug into those two directors much at all at that point. So that, that but, okay, but makes there's sense. There's lots of like very, very direct references to things like Pierre LeFou and uh, like Shoot the Piano Player and that sort of stuff. Okay. That, you know, I, I had just literally like just watched uh maybe within the year of that movie coming out so it makes sense i will go back and watch that yet again all right uh, let's kill you want to do you want to do some more yeah <clears throat> 